Hello comrades and welcome to a brand new episode of Spectre, a campaign exclusive. Today I'm joined by Donal, Robin and Megan. Comrades, would you like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, uh, thanks very much and cheers for having us. Uh, my name's Donal, uh, I'm the chair of the YCL uh, and I've been involved in plenty of campaigns, including many feminist campaigns with the YCL. Hiya, I'm Robin. Um, thanks very much for having us on today. Um, I'm the Scottish Women's Officer of the Young Communist League of Britain. I'm in the Communist Party. Um, I'm a Unison Steward in Training and I'm a member of Living Rent. Hiya, I'm Megan. I'm the Women's Officer in Glasgow uh, for the YCL. Thanks for that, comrades. That's fantastic. Obviously, today's episode's kind of recorded around the topic of the elimination of violence against women. And, you know, it's not a black and white subject. There's a lot to unpack from it, especially from many of the liberal narratives uh, that plague such international campaigns that spread across uh, Europe and indeed the rest of the world. The first kind of instance we want to talk about uh, is the view of feminism, uh, certainly different ideological standpoints of it. Uh, I'd probably draw it first to the viewpoint of the battle between Marxist feminism and liberal feminism. Robin, is that something you want to come in on? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there are many antagonisms between Marxist feminism, Marxist feminism and liberal feminism. Um, the main one being that liberal feminism, you know, it just doesn't concern itself with any sort of class analysis at all. Liberal feminism kind of it stems from you know individualism and the free market, um, and the impacts of this are obviously exacerbated by the ownership and advent of private property. And it's something that really feeds into the sex industry as well. Uh, something that makes it really parasitic, like the ownership of a female's body, how it transforms into a workplace because of this ideology. Um, and individualism is prevalent in this as well because it, it's got a lot to do with identity politics, um, which obviously lures the working class away from the material realities of sex, class and race-based oppression um, and towards the sort of lens of neoliberal politics. Um, the free market serves as a sort of like catalyst for the commodification of women's bodies within the sex industry. It's ruthless and relentless in this pursuit. Um, it commodifies our nature, our human nature, our labour, our means of production. In this endeavour, strips us as workers from our humanity and it contorts us into um, machinery ourselves. We become the gears which propel the economy. Um, and it's precisely this disengagement with ourselves and from our labour, uh, which liberalism preys upon, to dispel any sort of hope for collective class struggle. So liberal feminism, therefore, serves capital and only capital, not the working class. Yeah, that's absolutely spot on, Robin. I don't think I could give a, a better analysis of that if we tried. And obviously later on in the show, we'll, we'll come to talk on kind of the, the aspects of liberal feminism that, you know, plague the everyday lives of women, not just in the first world, but its consequences and what it produces here and the impact that it has uh, on the overexploited world. And moving on from that, you know, talking about liberal feminism and, and what we see and how it's kind of plaguing Britain today, uh, most prevalently in commercial sexual exploitation. Uh, in the 21st century, it's uh, incredibly damaging uh, and frightful, really. So just to come to you, Megan, if you can give us a, a kind of analysis of what is commercial sexual exploitation and how do we together tackle it? Yeah, so commercial sexual exploitation is kind of just any sort of sexual exploitation. So 
Uh, it can include prostitution, sex for rent, stripping, uh, even OnlyFans, things like that, more modern things, pornography. Yeah, it needs to be tackled very sensitively. And we understand that as Marxists. You, you need a measured and balanced approach to the issue. Yeah, thanks for that, Megan. Uh, I think you some great points there. And, you know, in terms of kind of the, the online culture we see and, you know, liberal feminism, you know, attempts to kind of cast a, a lens of uh, self-empowerment uh, among uh, working class women exploiting themselves, uh, this kind of air of independence, which we know is built upon a foundation of the super exploitation that we see within the third world with the, the sex trade itself thriving uh, off of slavery. This is one of the most damaging aspects of liberal feminism and it's, you know, individualistic nature. So I'm just looking to see, Robin, if there's something you want to come in on there and the, the inherent, you know, ideological aspect of uh, commercial sexual exploitation and how it's upheld. So you said a few words there like empowerment and independence. And that's that's something that's really like compelling for a woman I think who is oppressed who doesn't understand her own oppression it's something that uh, really like I say compels it really draws women in because they want to feel empowered they want to feel freedom they want to feel free they want to feel like they can do anything and they think the best way to do that because of uh, the hypersexualization of uh, women on social media um and because of the sex industry, it's constantly in your face and it's constantly, you know, advertised as like a viable employment option for women. Like you can't even escape it even in your university now. Uh, with sex worker toolkits, for example, um, you can't even be educated without learning about the sex industry. It's like, you know, why do you go to university? You go to, to get a degree so you get a good job. But that's offered as a viable career prospect. But for working class women, there isn't a lot of, opportunities to make a lot of money and you know buy your freedom in that sense in the capitalist sense of the word um so I would say that that self-empowerment that you were talking about that liberal idea definitely comes from one obviously would be a lack of class consciousness within women they don't understand their own double burden like their own oppression um and they think that they can be their own boss and that will somehow liberate them and they think for some, like, you know, because they're exploited, they feel like exploiting themselves is somehow liberatory, that that's going to free them from their chains. When you were talking about slave ownership as well, it reminded me of, I think it was James Connolly that said, if the worker is the slave of capitalist society, then the female worker is the slave of that slave. And I think that really rings true within the sex industry um, and commercial sexual exploitation. It is slavery, undoubtedly. It is. It's it's rape, and there's nothing more exploitative than that. Yeah, perfect, Robin. Thanks very much, Donald. Would you like to come in? Uh, yeah, cheers. I mean, I mean, to be fair, Robin absolutely nailed it. I think there's very little I need to add to it. But you know, one of one of the main things um, that I would say, as Robin pointed out, the difference between liberal feminism and Marx Marxist feminism um, is, you know, while well, there are multiple things to it, a big one is that individualism that Robin talked about, um, and this. A tendency from a liberal perspective to view all issues from the individual's perspective um, is, you know, it results in these kind of mental, frankly, positions um, like, you know, women should be free to what is what is in reality, women should be free to be exploited for their bodies and this kind of thing. You know, that, that's not an actual freedom. 
Um, the way we as Marxists view this is a, as a collective issue. And we recognise that the freedom for women comes in women as a class collectively being free from commercial sexual exploitation, women being free from the threat of, you know, being forced into a situation where they have to sell their bodies in order to survive. You know, that's the freedom that we as communists want to fight for, not an individual freedom about who can do what and who tells who to do what with their bodies. I just wanted to come in on that as well. That was excellent. Um, I think the only thing I would add to that would be just the concept of consent, because I think that's something else that really emboldens a lot of liberal feminists to say that it's it is empowering, it is it is free, it is an act of independence because you're consenting to it, when in fact it's not. It's a transaction. You're you're not saying I want to have sex with this person and that's it. You're doing it for something in return. That's not suggesting that you actually want to take part in that sexual act. That's saying you want the money. That's saying that you want to, you know, to be lifted out of poverty for well temporarily. It's that's it's not a permanent fix and it's not consensual. And it opens women up to a whole host of dangers, a whole host of situations. The exploitative relationship between a pimp and sex slave, essentially. No, I mean, I think you're absolutely bang on. And, you know, one of the things I would say is, well, you're absolutely right in terms of that economic relationship. Um, people often uh, try to legitimise these jobs as, you know, using um, terms which are fairly ill-defined, like sex work is work, um, is a term that gets thrown around quite a lot. Um, and, you know, I, I would say that certainly I've never heard that qualified in a meaningful kind of way. It's a slogan which is aimed at validating uh, the, you know, probably most exploitative um, industry there is um, people compare what they refer to as sex workers um, which we recognise as being prostituted women um, people refer to them and compare them to you know fast food workers or you know other workers and say how are they any different um, but the comparison economically is more comparing them to an actual product um, you know the, the woman is the product in that exchange between a pimp and you know a john uh, the woman is the product in that scenario um, and that's that's why they can't be compared to other you know workers in industries who are still exploited. Um, it's an inherently different relationship. It's similar to that of the slave and the slave owner. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Uh, I think you both make absolutely terrific points, and I'll certainly echo what you're saying, Robin, in regards to the kind of inherent predatory nature uh, of this notion of liberal feminism. Certainly, and its attempts to. Uh, coerce young women on university campuses. I can't think of anything more predatory than trying to absolutely evaporate the intellectual potential of young women uh, in an attempt to coerce them to become prostitutes. It's so sickening, I can, I can barely put it into words. And I think you you cover it quite well, Donald, on, you know, the, the kind of relationship in terms of linguistics. You know, there seems to be this, this notion of not wanting to call prostitution out for what it is it's you know plays into the hands of liberal feminism even within those uh, who claim to be on the left uh, this notion that identifying this parasitic relationship that pimps uh, thrive and uh, make their money off of using the language that identifies that and lays the foundation for further exploring the relationship uh, and how uh, these women are materially exploited uh, both through their relationship with the pimps and the johns uh, I thought it was a really great point. Uh, Robin, would you just want to come in just there? Yeah, it was just another point I wanted to make and how neoliberalism, like a sorry, just just a wee side note. I didn't I don't know if this was part of like the a question you asked earlier. I can't remember the exact wording you used. Uh, but I just thought I really like I thought it was quite a good point. 
um, social media is used by neoliberalism to prey on the minds, especially on our youth, to help sort of like casualise prostitution. Like it casualises it to the extent where it's seen as nothing but a job. Um, it functions as, as a form of currency as well. It's a, it's a really highly addictive form of validation that so many of our young people especially cling to in order to feel even just a wee bit of acceptance and then they repeatedly go back to social media to get that validation again. That It's uh, also a, obviously a product of free market capitalism as well. I think it bolsters and sort of maintains commercial sexual exploitation's ability to uh, continue doing just that, exploiting young women. And um, I think that social media is absolutely a huge catalyst for prostitution among young women. I mean, I remember being like third year and, you know, the, the impact that it has on people's opinions is just absolutely insane. You know, I remember hearing girls who are 14 saying that they're going to like drop out of school as soon as they turn 18 and get in OnlyFans and uh, become a stripper, you know, because it's just so, so intensely glamorized. It's really upsetting to hear. And, you know, people start to get older and they don't really talk about it as much, but, you know, it still exists and it's still really heartbreaking to see. Um, Just to come in there as well, um, just going off of what you said earlier, Nathan, about the predatory nature of, well, liberal feminism in a lot of ways, but the sex industry more broadly, um, it's the, the sex industry, like what Megan's saying, it's so marketed towards young people to the extent, not even just people that watch it, you know, the, like, the Jews know that the most searched words on Pornhub are words like teen and schoolgirl. Like, that is disgusting, utterly shameful. It just goes to show that young women especially are just viewed as nothing but objects or possessions. And it goes back to the original point I made about private property as well. And consent is completely non-consensual. And, yeah, just, like, again, come on, I uh, don't want to keep rambling on about this point. Um, the question asked uh, about you know 20, 21st century um, commercial sexual exploitation, uh, and as both Megan and Robin have correctly pointed out, the you know internet and social media have absolutely offered a you know catalyst uh, a new way of doing it. I believe uh, I'm looking at a fact here: eighty three percent of active twenty twenty sex trafficking cases involved online solicitation. Um, so that's you know over four out of five uh, cases of sex trafficking involved you know doing it online. Uh, that's not something that would have been the case, obviously, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, it, is, it is a new phenomenon which has allowed this industry to expand, and it is. Um, and it's a serious issue for us that we need to combat. Yeah, absolutely spot on. I mean, we could probably spend hours talking about this one point just because of how expansive it is. Looking back, as Donald's you know, mentioned, the, the change going into the 21st century and how uh, these pimps and exploiters seek to coerce women uh, into prostitution and we look at the, the facts the statistics you know who's the group uh, that is the foundation for the kind of wider uh, commercial sexual exploitation that we see in the modern age and it's women uh, you know we see this as a, a, a big topic of debate kind of uh, within left circles which I guess kind of brings us on to the next point we want to go over which is when we've talked and debated on you know the marxist feminism versus liberal feminism how do we then take that marxist theory uh, of sex and gender and how do we utilize this and combat and post-modernism uh, megan is this something you want to touch in on 
Yes, so postmodernism will try and tell us that gender is more important than sex and that people who identify into being a woman are just as oppressed and uh, we see this as not the case. Although uh, transgender people obviously experience a lot of discrimination, it won't equate to what women experience every day. It's just so different, the two different types of oppressions, we see that as Marxists. You know, we can analyse them separately and not have to lump them together because our experiences are so, so different. And yeah, linking it back to commercial sexual exploitation, uh, prostitutes are oppressed in terms of their sex, not their gender. And when a man buys a prostitute, he doesn't care what gender they are, he cares what sex they are. And that is the nature of their oppression. Yeah, no, it's fantastic, Megan. Uh, I definitely have to make reference to... Uh, one of the articles written uh, within the YCL's uh, own magazine, Challenge, uh, written by Evan uh, Williams, that covers this point off, you know, perfectly, looking at the simple position that despite the efforts by uh, countless postmodernists to, as you say, reduce sex to that meaningless spectrum, uh, it's the fact that 99.98% of human beings can be f- fairly equally divided into the possession or not of Y chromosomes, which also... Uh, with all things being well, define our potential role in reproduction. And this kind of, you know, is definitive. And as you said, you know, it's the the Johns not caring about the the identity uh, or the, you know, the, the individual identity of the uh, self-prescribed sex worker. It's the actual sex uh, that they're interested in, the commodity that is being sold by the pimps. Uh, you know, that's a point that's severely uh, neglected by yeah, liberal feminists and others in favour of so-called sex work. As communists and as Marxists, we recognise that the oppression of women, understood by its traditional sex-based definition, stems from class society. There can't be any separation from this, and any deviation from this analysis only serves in the interests of those exploiting, whether it be the pimps or the Johns, as, as mentioned. As we've kind of touched on liberal feminism, there's there's countless other theories uh, of, of of different types that either touch base on class society uh, or avoid it uh, obtusely. Within the description of this episode, I'll certainly be leaving uh, Evan's article uh, in the description. Uh, I don't want to plagiarise him word for word here and uh, read it out, but it's fantastic material that you know covers this kind of topic, especially as we've alluded to at the beginning. The kind of liberalisation of this kind of day or the the broader uh, UN campaign when we're talking about, you know, working towards class unity on sex and gender. So just looking to see if uh, Donald or or Robin, if you have any thoughts on this particular point before we kind of move on. Yeah, I definitely. um, So I I think it's a, you know, really well-known debate. Um, I don't think anyone's going to be listening to this podcast um, unfamiliar with the the conversation we're talking about. it's quite hotly debated and um, it's quite a controversial issue um, and it often results in attitudes that I would say are not particularly intellectually critical. Um, I think we as Marxists must task ourselves with assessing an issue purely on its merits um, and establishing what our position should be uh, soberly and objectively. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, uh, we all need to make sure we do in this case. Um, I would say this this isn't about um, questioning a contradiction between transgender people and women. And that's that's a um, total misrepresentation of what this issue is. And um, this is a question of 
uh, the role that gender plays in society and how we combat the, that gender if we would describe it as you know the roles and stereotypes associated with sex and um, so you know roles and stereotypes associated with m- male people and female people that's what gender is in society and it has as you say um through the advent of you know accumulation of property um has resulted in the discrimination and oppression that we see if there are people out there who are sitting feeling that they don't um fit in with the gender that is you know assigned to them by society and um, those gender roles and stereotypes that's totally understandable um if there are women out there who don't feel they want to behave in the way society expects and similarly if there are men who feel the same that is understandable and nobody is nobody is saying that that is not a feeling you should have or anything like that the solution the synthesis of that contradiction that you're experiencing is not to assume a new gender identity but instead to participate in the feminist fight for the eradication of gender roles and gender stereotypes and um, so i think it's really important for us to approach that you know on a material basis materialism is, is the philosophical basis for everything we do as marxists and um, idealism being its antithesis if people feel these things and people feel a certain way they absolutely should not fight that they should lean into that and participate in our fight to abolish the role that gender has in society as opposed to getting on board with postmodern tendencies which insist on enforcing new roles new stereotypes and whatever there may be um, and i think <clears throat> we are fairly unique um, in holding that nuanced and materialist line um, and i encourage everyone you know who's listening to this and uh, not not to plug our own stuff too much but evan williams as you say his article um covers this in far better words than i just have um, and i would really encourage everyone to have have a look at that robin would you like to come in on any of that you've kind of took everything i wanted to say <laughs> to be honest i can't really think anything else um i suppose we've not fully delved into defining you've defined gender really well and explored fully the issues it raises in society in relation to sex but i don't think any of us have fully defined uh, what sex is uh, or sex-based oppression specifically and how oppression can define sex the way that we understand it uh, as Marxist sex-based oppression it begins with um, as Nathan rightly pointed out it begins before class society um, sex-based oppression predates class society there isn't a class there wasn't a class antagonism at the beginning of time do you know what I mean but there is however evidence of a division of labour between sexes. And then that same sentiment carried on through the advent of private property with the advent of a, of a class antagonism. Uh, and then now we're in present day and we now have women facing a double burden of exploitation, both in the workplace and in the home. And it's precisely that domestic labour, that unpaid domestic labour that is, that is carried out at home, which upholds capitalism because... We are responsible for raising the workforce. We, resp- we as women are responsible for the socialisation of workers into the workforce. Uh, we have to raise the workforce like cattle. So there's, a, there's, there's two main ways that women are oppressed through productive and reproductive labour. That touches on reproductive labour, uh, domestically I mean, but obviously uh, women are oppressed through biology, the, bio- the biology of our ability to actually give birth, our ability to be pregnant. You know, healthcare around that is abysmal. Um, 
and it's it, it, it's exacerbated if you're a black woman as well. You're so much more likely to die in childbirth if you're a black woman in the UK versus a white working woman. Um, it's shameful. However, in terms of uh, productive labour, um, women tend to have on get access to the lowest paid uh, job sectors. For example, the care sector is dominated by women. It's the very vast majority of care workers in Britain are women and they face all of the same issues. Uh, and it's it, it derives from an, ex, an, an exploitation of that domestic labour. Again, the labour that they have to conduct at home, they have to conduct in their workplace. That caring maternal role is exploited to the highest degree in care work. And I say that as a care worker myself, like as I said at the beginning of, of, of this podcast, I'm a, uni- I'm a Unison student in training. I'm a care sector worker and I've been doing it for a year and a half. Um, so it's something I feel very, you know, close to. And it's something that I'm coming from, not only, you know, coming from my places, you know, I'm, I'm a Marxist position, but I'm coming from real material lived experience as well. Yeah, just to, I mean, again, Robin's covered pretty much everything I was going to. Um, but just um, on what Robin was saying at the beginning about, um, you know, it's essentially how... Um, division of labour on the basis of sex existed before capitalism. Um, you know, as as we as um, Marxists and, and, you know, historical materialists um, understand uh, is that um, while capitalism had not yet come to pass, women um, still had a different relationship to production um, because through their different relationship to reproduction. Um, so the basis in which that, that labour was um, divided is the same before, before and after. Um, it was simply exacerbated. By capitalism um, but again not to plug too much of her own um, material but I can't stress enough uh, Women in Class by Mary Davis um, is one of the best if not the best text uh, on this and explains incredibly coherently uh, what I've just attempted to uh, but I can't I can't recommend enough that you have a read at that Thank God they're not paying the party or legal royalties or else they'd be owed a fortune uh, <laughs> but no those are some fantastic points and especially what you've said Robin you know, looking at, uh, you know, the defining features of sex and its relationship uh, with the capitalist mode of production, you know, it's not something that's, quote, assigned at birth. Uh, it is defined uh, and is almost always identified correctly. We can look at the contradictions within uh, the human species as well, just because there are a, a small number of intersex people does not contradict this binary trend uh, that we see predominantly throughout us, uh, you know, to deny you know, scientific fact is materialist is, is something that we can't do. We can't ignore a uh, such fact. It would be unacceptable for us in, 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 in our relationship and trying to use our, our Marxist framework and uh, understanding women's sex-based oppression. So I thought it was a, a really excellent point made. And we've talked a good bit kind of on the theory side of things as well. And, and just to bring us back to the subject of you know sexual exploitation of prostitution i think it's always worth noting the the nordic model uh, and trying to understand that again and you know it's something that's very heavily debated something that's uh, you know constantly uh, under analysis so robin it was just to see if you could give us a wee insight into the nordic model itself yeah absolutely so the nordic model is essentially it's a sort of combination of social welfare and economic systems adopted by Nordic countries, so like uh, Sweden, for example, Iceland, Canada, France, Norway. So it involves the decriminalisation of those who are prostituted within the sex industry, um, because obviously prostitution is 
as we touched on earlier, it's completely non-consensual. It, it is therefore inherently violent. Um, and therefore, women are victims. We compared the women in, women in that scenario to slaves. So how could you hold a prostitute? You know, how, how, could, how could you hold them to blame for being raped effectively? So they should not be criminalised essentially for the, the exploitation they are forced to endure that they do not consent to. It comes from that idea. Um, the second one is um, about buying sex being a criminal offence. So it's about how buying any sort of, any woman is exploitative. It, like I said, it's non-consensual. Transforms the woman's body into a workplace. According to the, the Nordic model, this would reduce the demand uh, that drives sex trafficking as well, um, which is true. And it's been evidenced across the countries that you, um, have implemented the Nordic model. The third one is support and exit strategies. You know, having counselling services, childcare, legal, like debt and benefit advice, uh, like I say, like emotional support, things like that. Just helping them. Uh, anybody who falls prey to the sex industry, ensuring that they are able to get back on their feet following leaving the sex industry. I'm trying to summarise it as much as I can, um, but that's sort of the the basic principles of the Nordic model. Cheers for that, Robin. Uh, and again, the Nordic model is kind of one of those things similar to the topic of commercial sexual sexual exploitation itself. We could talk for for hours upon, and you know, kind of examining the, the different aspects of it. You know, the the kind of exit strategy as well. Taking that from you know the Marxist viewpoint is how do we how do we, you know, implement that within a capitalist society? It's always going to be extraordinarily difficult. You know, certainly here in Britain, the support mechanisms that are in place are well not in place, uh, aren't there for everyday everyday people uh, to feel support supported. The the welfare state is dissolving slowly after decades of austerity and cuts to universal credit and tax credits and everything like that. So how can we expect this already? A heavily burdened system uh, to support uh, women who fell prey to the pimps uh, and the johns uh, in the line of prostitution. Realistically, it's incredibly hard. The reality is only a, only a socialist state would be capable of implementing such policies the way we've seen uh, following the, the fall uh, of the Soviet Union and its uh, illegal overthrow was that sharp decline uh, into the likes of, of prostitution uh, as of slavery, uh, one of the main aspects that plagued uh, post-Soviet Ukraine uh, as well as Russia was child prostitution, showing the sheer desperation and exploitive nature uh, of what happens when you know uh, the plague of imperialism pushes further out and the impact that that has uh, on a dissolved uh, welfare state. And how we also look at supporting and echoing the voices of uh, former prostitutes who are constantly shouted down uh, and silenced by liberal feminists and other radical feminists who play uh, these women off as just a one-off, just this small statistic, as opposed to the actual voice of reason, the voice that's seen there, been it, uh, and done it and has witnessed the exploitation firsthand. Uh, you know, it's really important that, as you say, we're not criminalising these women, we're providing them with alternative strategies uh, to elevate themselves out of a need to go into prostitution. Thanks for going into that so well. That was excellent, Comrade. Um, 
It's just what you were saying about the imperial nature of the sex industry, like the almost colonisation of women's bodies. That's kind of what that got me thinking about. Uh, and it reminded me of uh, the Infectious Diseases Act of 1864. I don't know if any of you have heard of it, but it basically uh, legitimised the military uh, intervention of women's bodies because basically it was an act that was supposedly intended to enact an inquisition into the high STD rate amongst soldiers, but it quickly became an opportunity for the for police to arrest and invasively search and examine women prostitutes in army towns. You know, it led to the perception that women are vectors of disease with an emphasis on wanting to keep men healthy and fit for war. You know, it legitimised uh, and legalised policing in like I said, a military intervention in, in women's bodies. And like I say, emphasises obviously that really unequal power dynamic of which the sex industry is so dependent on today. Absolutely spot on, Robin. And, you know, just to come back on that kind of colonial aspect as well, looking in it broader, even out with uh, prostitution in itself, looking at the, the colonial experimentation, as, as you've kind of touched on earlier, uh, of black women and the, the super exploitation that they faced, uh, the fact that the the contraceptive pill was exclusively experimented upon and developed uh, on black women across uh, Africa, another kind of example of you know the the colonial exploitation uh, of women, you know a testing ground. I think that's a, probably a really important point to note, and you've kind of touched on touched on that as well. Looking at as we've mentioned the the imperial aspect of the industry itself. Just before we uh, move on to kind of looking at the broader violence against women, just looking to see if anybody's got anything else to, to add in eh, on the Nordic model itself. Um, I suppose just one thing, as obviously Marxists, uh, none of us are looking to have the Nordic model as a final destination for a solution to the sex industry and the sex trade in general. Well, at least in, in the capitalist mode of production, it does it, it does serve its, a very viable purpose, and that is to decriminalise those who have been prostituted, to make buying sex a criminal a criminal offence uh, and to offer prostitutes uh, and anybody, you know, escorts, sugar babies, any anybody, any 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 woman in particular who needs to escape the sex industry, giving them proper, you know, non-judgmental support, um, therapy and help to, you know, escape effectively, that is needed and it's it's, you know, it's I don't want to say it's a stepping stone per se, but it, it's something that needs to be achieved in order to get to socialism, I think. Like socialism in the sex industry can coexist, but under capitalism, there needs to be a sort of, like, well, why we're dealing with this mode of production? Because socialism isn't going to happen tomorrow. There needs to be some sort of resolution there. And the Nordic model does, and evidence across the, the several countries that have implemented it, it suggests that it is a very effective way to protect women. Aye, 100%. And just, you know, to add to that as well, I, Robin's absolutely right. We, we approach policy uh, in pragmatic terms. Um, we don't do so based on, like, grandstanding, and we don't do so based on um, ideology. <clears throat> we, you know, analyse something and determine, is this good for the working class or bad for the working class? So in terms of this issue, um, you know, if you're looking at the Nordic model, the question isn't, you know, is this the perfect system that we want in the end? The question is, does this shift power towards capital or away from capital? 
Um, and, you know, it's very clear to us that shifts power away from capital. And if you are, you know, someone who considers yourself a feminist or if you're someone who considers yourself a socialist uh, or anything like that, and you find yourself shouting against the Nordic model, shouting against, you know, what it is we're standing for here, you need to reconcile yourself with the fact that you're standing next to pimps and you're standing next to, you know, these people who own women uh, who also feel the same way you do because they don't want the Nordic model either. Uh, and I think that's something you should think about for yourself and, you know, read into this more. Uh, but I know Robin's absolutely bang on. Yeah, absolutely spot on. I don't think there's anything else I can I can really add to that. I've covered that quite well. Uh, I guess it kind of leads on to, you know, violence against women in itself. You know, we've talked extensively about the damaging effects of commodification to women's bodies. Uh, and I think, Donald, you want to kind of comment on in here and talk about even that, that broader societal implication that that has as well, certainly in regards to, you know, uh, men also. Is that something you want to come in on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's one of the things that you know matters most to me as a feminist um, and as a man is recognizing that you know the fight for feminism uh, is not something I do because you know I want to be kind to women or whatever. Uh, it's it's a part of the working class fight which we're all you know involved in. We as Marxists understand that you know combating patriarchal capitalism isn't something we do for women. It's something we do for ourselves. Um, you know, there's the perspective of solidarity. Uh, in the sense that, you know, communist men don't fight for liberation of women to be kind. We do so because we recognise that a functioning society and economy can only run with the equality of women. Um, and that when we, when working class women are lifted out of this, we take a step towards freeing ourselves as a working class. Um, but further to that, you know, stuff like gender roles, misogyny, patriarchy, these are all things which are actively bad for men in society. Um, and that's why we should oppose them. Um, just as they are bad for women. So, like, th there's there's loads of examples of issues um, where this is really apparent and really obvious. Some of them are more complicated. Um, so, like, for example, a, a gender pay gap can be a more complicated issue to unpack because on the face of it, you certainly could say it's men benefit from this. Actually, you know, the, the long answer to that is no, men have their wages stolen and women have more of their wages stolen is, is the long and short of it. Um, and I don't think it's fair to say that men are benefiting from that system. Um, but, you know, there's some really obvious ones. Uh, one of the things I was thinking about today, you know, maternity leave and paternity leave, um, we see a massive imbalance in those. The creation of a system where maternity leave and paternity leave at work are better balanced and also there's more flexibility for, you know, couples to decide what they're going to do. Um, that is a net win for both men and women in any scenario. Um, and it's not the case that men benefit from the, the current state of things. But to, to, to bring it back to, you know, commodification of women that you're asking about, it goes without saying that women are the primary victims here. Um, and that's why we're fighting against this. Um, but it's, it's not true to say, it's not true to take what I would describe as a radical feminist position of saying, you know, what's bad for women is good for men. Because that's not the case. Um, you know, it's, it's preposterous. Women, women in these circumstances, women are being exploited by men. Women are being exploited by capital. Women who are sold on the sex trade you know, women who are prostituted out, they're being exploited by a pimp, whether that pimp's a man or a woman. The fact that women are bought and sold in a market, you know, through porn and prostitution, that doesn't improve my life as a man. And um, that's not something that I went on. Uh, in fact, porn culture and the prevalence of it throughout society, it destroys relationships and it destroys many men's, you know, uh, development. Uh, young boys and that kind of thing as well as women. So I've, I apologies for rambling on, but I've got a couple more stats, you know, um, over half, so 
of eleven to thirteen year olds in Britain um, have watched porn. Like I, I don't know if she's no if you know think of a friend or a family member or something. Eleven to thirteen is a remarkably young age, and that's over half. Uh, and then that goes up to sixty six percent of fourteen to fifteen year olds in Britain. Um, so that's people who've watched porn. That's it damages your brain chemistry. Um, it is something that causes serious issues um, throughout your life and has lasting effects. Uh, porn addiction is a very real thing, um, which is absolutely shocking and isn't addressed the same as plenty of other issues. But you know, when you take into account as well, fifty-three percent of boys, um, you know, teenage boys, I believe, um, believe that porn is a realistic depiction of sex, um, and forty-five percent of teens who watched porn did so to learn about sex. Like they they thought by watching porn they would learn about sex. These are children we're talking about. So take that into account, you know, 45% watching it to learn about sex and 53% believing it's realistic. Based on that then, one in three porn videos show uh, sexual violence or aggression. So what, what you're learning is, you know, at the very least, you've got about half of teens here watching videos and one in three of those are going to be watching something that's sexually violent and concluding that that's how sex happens. That's what's normal in sex. You know, that's absolutely shocking. Um, and again, to bring it back to my initial point, how is this good for men? How is having that put in front of your face when you're at a developmental stage in your upbringing? How is that good for men? You know, people who consume porn report far worse relationship satisfaction. Um, it's it, it causes serious issues. Um, but the thing, the reason I'm saying this, um, I'm trying to highlight, I'm not sitting here being what some might describe as a men's rights advocate, advocate or activist or you know, anything like that. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, women might be discriminated against, oh, but so are men. That's missing the point. We're not saying on the one hand women are, but then contrary to that, on the opposing hand, men have some rights that they, you know, could have improved, that kind of thing. My point is that the solution to both of these things is identical. And it's the feminist position. It's the dismantling of patriarchal capitalism. That's what will lift both men and women out of this situation, which is detrimental to the working class. So the solution is the same. So if you're if you're a man experiencing these problems, experiencing you know these kinds of things, keep in mind you're a feminist. You should be a feminist, and the feminist fight is for you. Um, you know that's that's the conclusion you should be reading, reaching. Um, the feminist fight is is for women and men alike because it's the working class who wins when we fight for women against capital. Yeah, absolutely spot on, comment. I think it's you know as you mentioned, there's these these countless trends, and I think the advocacy for this uh, attitude of violence against women or the, the further commodification of it certainly uh, is extended as we've talked about within the 21st century uh, of commercial sex, sexual exploitation uh, as we kind of discussed previously before obviously the show began was uh, the kind of uh, involuntary celibate kind of niche uh, enforcing this idea you know of being separate as you kind of uh, said isn't, isn't true being separate uh, from the oppression that women uh, are facing, realizing that these are intertwined issues, and there is that that common solution that you know benefits both. And uh, as we've kind of seen in regards to the attitudes that are then perpetrated through the use of media via online, as uh, Megan's uh, highlighted earlier, uh, the fact that uh, and sorry that Robin also touched on in regards to you know porn trends teen high school and vi uh, violence being a trend further shows this uh, further objectification uh, and commodification of, of women believing that 
uh, violence in the bedroom uh, is therefore some inherent uh, aspect within sexual relations, which we know it not to be true. Uh, Robin, is that something you want to come in on? Um, well, I kind of wanted to advance a bit on an earlier point that you made and uh, that Dono made as well. Um, I don't think anyone surmises that point better than Colin Ty, who says great social changes are impossible without feminine upheaval. Um, great social by great social changes, she means socialism. She means you know advancing even like before you get to socialism, getting to things like the Nordic model, criminalizing the purchase of sex, decriminalizing uh, you know those who have been prostituted, supporting prostitutes to find uh, you know to get education, to get safe affordable housing childcare, therapy, etc. This is impossible. It's it's absolutely impossible to do that without feminine upheaval because of that reproductive, you know, unpaid uh, domestic labour that women do because it upholds capital. Capitalism would be unsustainable without that unpaid labour of women. So it is absolutely crucial that women not only participate in the class struggle, but lead it. It is crucial. It's absolutely crucial. Um, not only should they be feminists, but they need to be for their own survival, for the survival of men and for generations to come, so for the survival of the planet. To achieve socialism, it's necessary to be a feminist and it's necessary to stand against the sex industry. It's necessary to stand against commercial sexual exploitation. You know, and Dono as well spoke about uh, the, the sort of viewpoint of radical feminists, um, the, the sort of the, the pinning of men against women. Uh, and I think that was spot on. The only thing I would add, there needs to be, rather than analysis of who's involved, it needs to be analysed through the lens of capital, like what like what exactly is being traded for what? It's capital for a woman's body. It's a transaction. It's, it's you know, it's a product of consumer capitalism. Um, it's, you know, where you get something that is, you know, you get a consumer and you get something that's consumed. And the way that the consumer consumes that product is through capital because they buy it you've got to ask yourself as well through that that sort of dynamic is rape no more than theft as a woman's body just something that you can you can use and then discard when you want you know if you've bought it is it now yours is that your private property like if I, if I was you know I've got a phone I bought a phone I can use it for what I want to do and then if I deem it as broken I can get rid of it if I want to the same sort of dynamic exists between between a pimp and a prostitute. So yeah, I just wanted to to bring that analysis to the table as well. Yeah, that's smashing, Robin. Uh, Donald, you want to come back in there? Yeah, I mean, it only really to you know absolutely say yeah, you're like bang on there, Robin, about um you know what you're saying about not just you know if you want to be a socialist or if you want to be a feminist, you know, there's much more to it than that. Um, it's it's whether or not you want to survive. Um, you know, this is what we're fighting for. Um, so yeah, like I think just the way the way I want to summarize it, I guess, is that um, you know, feminism without socialism is incoherent, and socialism without feminism is inconceivable. You know, there's there's no way it can happen without the feminist struggle. Um, and I think if there's if there's you know one takeaway um that folks should have today is that you need to be both, and they're not two separate struggles. It's one and the same. Absolutely spot on, and I guess this leads us perfectly on to the final point. You know, we talked about the kind of broader UN Day for uh, the International Day for the Elimination uh, of Violence Against Women. 
uh, and certainly in relation to you know what communists here in Britain are doing, uh, more specifically the uh, the YCL and the 16 days of activism. So it was just to see, Robin, if you can give us a bit of a insight into what that entails and you know what can be expected. Yeah, no problem. So the campaign was well, it it's it's called the 16 days of activism against gender based violence. Uh, it's and sort of it's an annual international global campaign that uh, you know starts on the twenty fifth of November for sixteen days, on the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, and runs until the tenth of December, which is Human Rights Day. So it is a campaign that was made by the United Nations, which although we haven't unpacked the, the UN, we've unpacked neoliberalism and how is obviously very exploitative. Um, the UN is a neoliberal organization, and I think uh, you know. As Marxists, we do have to critique that within itself. And as we just discussed, calling it gender-based violence isn't an adequate description of what we're actually campaigning against. It's sex-based violence. It's violence against women and girls. You know, it's it kicks off on the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. So it's not accurate to, you know, say it's about gender when it's actually about sex because women aren't abused for their gender. They're, uh, they're oppressed because of their sex, they're, they're abused because of their sex. That is the sort of focal point of the YCL's campaigning during the 16 days. Uh, we're, that, you know, we're doing the podcast today, that's that's part of what's one of our actions. Uh, we'll be taking part in the Fight for the Night March, uh, which I think was organised by the Straff Union uh, on Wednesday the 29th of November. Um, it might have passed by the time the podcast comes out, right enough. Um, We've got an article coming out. Uh, we're doing a social media series, um, which you know it it will entail interviews with uh, women on the left, and it'll just be honest and frank discussions uh, between comrades in the Young Communist League and the women themselves, just about their experiences as women and their respective organisations, just to get conversation going because the same issues arise even in the left to do with, you know, casualised misogyny especially. And these are all things, it, like, you know, casualised misogyny, all, all sorts of misogyny, all sorts of sexism. It's almost like a triangle, you know? It all leads into the next thing. You know, like, misogyny feeds the sex industry. If you're participating in casualised misogyny, you know, you're perpetuating the problem of other forms of misogyny. You're not helping it. it just because it's casual doesn't make it less violent. Things like that, is, you know... We're doing, uh, we've made posters, uh, we've got leaflets printed. Um, so yeah, we just want to spread the word about the material reality of sex-based oppression and uh, this, how, how violent it actually is. Because I think you need to have a real material understanding of oppression in order to understand why we need campaigns like this, why we need to explore these issues more. Yeah, absolutely spot on, Robin, and uh, I think that comes at a very crucial time especially here in scotland you know following from that uh, investigation uh, and the police scotland of it being found to be a inherently racist sexist uh, you know misogynistic body and you know that the violence that women uh, across britain have faced as a result of serving police officers it's no surprise that we've seen this this continuous trend of of, of those with uh, sheer contempt for women have been able to uh, get away with it for so long uh, and the violence that we're, we've seen, uh, you know, I think we, we only have to look as far as uh, Sarah Everard, uh, which was an absolutely shocking case and, you know, 
serve to highlight, you know, the many ideas that you're talking about and the the perpetration of uh, many ideas that play into that part of those viewing uh, women as being less and those uh, who seek to uh, take advantage of that through uh, physical, through the form of physical assault uh, and, you know, uh, rape as well as, as you've touched on and the ideas that plague from that into uh, the sex industry itself and the reclaim the night march certainly a, a, a really important you know day on on the calendar especially probably in the likes of, of, of Glasgow itself uh, especially near Kelvin Grove Park uh, where there's been a continuous battle for measures to be put in place to make the area safer uh, there's been countless acts of sexual assault that have occurred. Uh, and again, it's uh, almost entirely all young women. Uh, and these voices have been far too long drowned out. So it's, you know, it's absolutely fantastic to see, you know, the 16 days of activism really pushing forward, not only gathering the collective experience of, of women throughout Scotland and Britain, uh, but indeed, uh, you know, taking part uh, in the boots on the ground stuff with the uh, marches like these and, you know, really getting that public image shown. It's going to be great for uh, the YCL to put the position that we've been talking about today uh, out into the public field. So, yeah, just to, to round off, uh, if anybody's got any final talking points and uh, whereabouts can we keep up to date for the uh, 16 days of activism? Yeah, I guess what one thing I'm going to come in on just like it's just something you uh, spurred in my mind there because you mentioned about the um, you know grotesque attacks that have um, happened as you say in Kelvin Grove Park. Um, you know, it's it, it's reminded me of sort of our place in this and how we fight uh, for these changes. Um, you know, we don't as feminists find a feminist charity or a feminist group to go and try to do these things through. Um, there is a feminist group that we're part of, and it's the Young Communist League of Britain. Um, and it's, you know, the Communist Party of Britain, it's our unions, our trade unions, our community unions. These are what we use to fight these things. Um, and there's no better example than um, there was a campaign by Living Rent, Scotland's Tenants Union, um, which uh, were Leith Links, um, sort of park uh, in Edinburgh, um, which there was a campaign for it to be, you know, light up Leith Links, uh, for there to be public, uh, lighting installed. And to you know make it safer to walk through, uh, and there were there were critics to this campaign, um, questioning like, you know, what is this about? How is this a community campaign? How is this class politics? Um, and I think you know, the lead up in this conversation to that, uh, hopefully everyone can conclude now exactly how this is class politics and exactly how that shifts power towards the working class, defends women, and progresses the feminist fight. You know, I th I think that's been made pretty clear. Um, and similarly, we you know we can be critical. Uh, of the UN, um, and we can be critical of, uh, you know, their view of so-called feminism, um, and instead we can take advantage of what is being put in front of us and offer the working class an actual view of what feminism looks like, um, and match class struggle. Yeah, that was absolutely spot on. Uh, and I guess I'll just go to you, Robin. Whereabouts can we keep up to date uh, with all the the stuff that YCL will be doing uh, during the sixteen days of activism? Um, so on our branch social media website so the Glasgow Edinburgh and well Lanarkshire branch are starting up their social media uh, very shortly so that should be available in the next few days so Instagram, Twitter uh, it would just be YCL Edinburgh, Glasgow, Lanarkshire yeah that will be the prob probably the, the main places that you'll be able to find and keep up to date with everything that we're doing Perfect, I'll be sure to include that in the description uh, as well as the social media post but yeah, thanks again, Comrades, for 
taking the time out your busy schedules to to come on and talk about this. It's been an absolute pleasure to kind of uh, host this podcast in, in regards to the 16 days of activism and, you know, the topic of uh, uh, commercial sexual exploitation and, you know, the many other forms of uh, oppression and exploitation that women face. I think it's, you know, something that has to always be echoed, you know, as uh, Mal said, you know, women hold up half the sky if we're fighting for a revolution that doesn't include our women then what revolution are we fighting for we're only fighting for uh one interest but the working class interest is both uh, men and women and we're always going to be fighting for it uh, as donald says you know daily and making sure these these aspects are intertwined uh, from everything that we do from our internal work within the young communist league and the communist party to the work we do with our community unions and trade unions also so it's been an absolute pleasure uh, and i thank you for your time thank you very much for having us Hi, cheers, comrades. It's been fantastic. Thanks again, comrades, for tuning in to an exclusive episode of Spectre. As mentioned, the 25th of November highlights the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Communists around the globe should reaffirm their commitment to the struggle against the exploitation and oppression of women. The capitalist offensive that we see is being deployed against the working class at an alarming rate, more so against women. This discrimination and oppression, this discrimination and oppression is not a one-off and does not happen by chance or some abstract hate. In the case of women, this is waged socially and economically. Wage differentials, the double burden and salaried and domestic labour, as well as sexual violence and prostitution are the most specific and recognisable examples of this exploitation and oppression. All of these expressions flower under capitalism by playing a fundamental role in the reproduction of the labour force. By understanding the commercial sexual exploitation of women and the violence against women being an inherent part of capitalism, we can only understand the struggle against them as part of the struggle against capitalism and its imperialist stage. It is vital that we stand up to the exploitation and oppression of women and minority groups. We must combat liberal narratives that seek to heighten individualism and the exploitation of those in the third world. Without the emancipation of women, there can be no emancipation of the working class. Brother, call a girl a picture a hoe. Trying to make a sister feel low. You know, all of that got to go. Now, everybody knows there's exceptions to this rule. I don't be getting mad when we playing it's cool. But don't you be calling me out my name. I bring crap to those who disrespect me like a dame. That's why I'm talking. One day I was walking down a block. I had my cut off shorts on, right? Cause it was crazy. I, I walked past these dudes when they passed me. One of them felt my booty, he was nasty. I turned around red, somebody was catching the rat. Then the little one said, yeah, me, bitch. And laughed. Since he was with his boys, he tried to break fly. Huh. I punched him dead in his eyes. Who you calling a bitch? You and I did.